The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Today, on the lab report, we're going to talk about lipid ratios. What are they? Why do you care? I don't know. Right? Yeah, I just... I, I think we, had, we didn't have anything else to talk about. It's just ratio stuff. We're just putting words together. Right. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, yeah, wait till more effective out. treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, time. we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, <laughs> we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Wow. Welcome to the Lab Report. Coming off a full moon in Pisces. Uh, oh, okay. Is that, is that supposed to mean something? Harvest moon, corn moon. The corn moon? That's right. Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Patty Devers, how goes it? <laughs> it goes great. You're not following the moon? The full moon, the new moon? No. All the most, crazy names Most evenings, for the I don't even recall that it was in the sky at any point. <laughs> I'm usually in bed. I'm sorry. To draw attention. I, is there something significant about the candy corn moon? It's not the candy corn moon. Oh, okay. Well, what is it? It's either the corn moon or the harvest moon, because it kind of coincides with when you harvest corn. Knee high by 4th of July. That's right. What, what I know by, <laughs> that's what I know about corn. Well, this is a podcast is. called The Lab Report, brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the fascinating science of precision medicine. That's right. And if you're new to the show, welcome. If you're returning, thank you so much for all of your support. And oh, hopefully you would have just gone great. to iTunes or Spotify, maybe rate, review, subscribe, download, share with all of your friends. Yes. And if you have reached this point and you have feedback for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the two of us here or anything really related yeah. to Genova Diagnostics, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net and we will take a look. Well, today you said we're going to look at lipid ratios and we promised this a couple shows back. Are we really going to deliver on it this time, Michael? Yeah, you know, I mean, as much as I like to over-promise and under-deliver mm-hmm. or just keep promising things and <laughs> never deliver, right? Um, I think we should talk about this for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is that we just launched a new cardiovascular profile here at Genova Diagnostics called the Cardio Check. And um, there's some excellent lipid ratios that are part of this. And it occurs to me that maybe there are some physicians out there that aren't as familiar. We, we talk a lot. We know a lot about the, the lipids, your HDL, your LDL, that sort of thing. But these ratios, I don't know, might be a little bit of a untraveled, uncharted territory. I thought we were going to do some kind of fanfare on the Cardio Check. I mean, you sort of just slipped it in there as if we just talked about having turkey sandwiches for lunch. You're right. I mean, it's you're a big right. deal. Yeah, we should do some fanfare. Yeah. I mean, I can see what we have in the board. I, I don't know if <laughs> it's enough. Hitting, you think it's enough? Start hitting the buttons and see what you got. I mean, try it again and be like, the cardio check. What? I mean, that's weak. No, not enough. I, need I mean, more. what else we got? It's, oh, pass I mean, it. There's <laughs> some, you know, Oliver can f- give us some feedback, what he thinks about it. Explosion. No. 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 Applause. That's closer. Fireball. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, we can see if Will Cole wants to say anything. You guys are really great. Uh, dynamic. <laughs> I don't know. None Let's of this pause. is helping. No. No? Okay. I need some, like, where's the, the horn? No. I can, no. I can That's more like it. Put the gong in there, strange, maybe. But, you I don't know, know. You're gaining on it. Peacock. No. <laughs> Anyway, that's enough. Well, let's talk a little bit about the cardio check. Yeah, like, yeah. What, do, what would you say about the cardio check? What do, you, what do you think of when you do word association with cardio check? Well, I think everyone knows they get their cholesterol checked by their doctor 
every year, right? You get your good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, triglycerides. This takes it a little step further because there are other markers on there. There are cardiometabolic markers. There are these very specific ratios which have a lot of upcoming great recent literature on them that I think you might find interesting. Mm, that's pretty good. That's a good explanation. Was it? Now, you did say that everyone knows your HDL, your LDL, your standard cholesterol, all the docs. Everyone's going to their doctor and getting this done. I mean, I that might be the case. Mm-hmm. I, I might be the only one who probably hasn't been in several years to wow. see a doctor. So. Wow. Wow. Well, perhaps you should. And why do we even care about getting your cholesterol and lipids checked? It all comes back to, remember, we had that whole episode on endothelial dysfunction and cardiovascular health and atherosclerosis. So these are the key players. So I it's rec- important. I to recall keep messing up how I say atherosclerosis. <laughs> Got to keep an eye on these things. Okay, Patty. Well, where do you want to start? I mean, do you want to start with lipids? Yeah. This is this is like, you know, right in your wheelhouse. How you is just, it in my wheelhouse? Because you, you know, you spent so much time in the hospitals oh, or like conventions. It's like... I mean, every Monday, I'm sure you're just running around. First thing you're doing is getting everyone's lipids, right? <laughs> well, well, it's Monday morning. Might as well get everyone's lipids. The umbrella term lipid is really just types of cholesterol and triglycerides that are insoluble in water. And so there's lots of different types of lipids, different types of cholesterol and triglycerides and fats. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. All right, Patty, that sounds good. I mean, where do you want to start? Right. You want to start yeah. with just kind of your conventional lipids, the things that we hear a lot about in the media. Yeah, let's just talk about cholesterol, for example. Okay, let's do it. And, you know, it's vilified. And everyone's always trying to lower their cholesterol. But, in fact, we do need some cholesterol. It has a very important function in the body. Sure. Yeah, cholesterol serves uh, as the backbone to all of your hormones. It's a hormone precursor to progesterone, which then facilitates all the other hormones like testosterone and estrogens. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, part of that cholesterol pathway makes CoQ10, very, right. very important molecule, part of the HMG-CoA pathway. So Correct. that's why we're often thinking about supplementing with CoQ10 if somebody's on an HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor, mm-hmm. like a statin. So, um, yeah, it's very important to understand that if we're manipulating that pathway, there are important things. And especially if we're doing something that lowers our cholesterol long term, mm-hmm. could theoretically have effects on our hormones. That's right. And you can make cholesterol in your liver from nothing, or you can get it from your diet. But... There are types of cholesterol, and I think most people are familiar with the terms HDL and LDL, high-density mm-hmm. lipoprotein versus low-density lipoprotein. Good distinction, though, although I, I think most people know this. It's good to be reminded that those are types of cholesterol, and that's why oftentimes you see HDLC and LDLC because mm-hmm. they're, they're partitioned. And when we're talking about some of these traditional levels of types of cholesterol, it leads to something called the lipid hypothesis, which is a perfect example of epidemiology. Yeah, so the lipid hypothesis, or what's otherwise known as the cholesterol hypothesis, um, we kind of got it start uh, with a researcher, Ansel Keys, uh, great name, and he was very interested in cardiovascular disease, how it originated, and he had sort of this general hypothesis that cholesterol was was the main thing that was driving it, and in particular, um, the aspect of saturated fat being contributory to high cholesterol, which ultimately would spin off cardiovascular disease. And he did a lot of research, did some studies where he, in fact, proved that saturated fat had a correlation to higher levels of uh, cholesterol and also had higher levels of cardiovascular disease in people. And thus was born the lipid hypothesis, which generally from a cardiology perspective is what has the biggest amount of consensus to date. Although uh, it should be said that it's not 
uniform. It's not um, right. unanimous. There's dissenting views, right? Yeah. There are some people because it is correlative, right? They're not necessarily saying that it's always causative. And so there are some dissenting views around lipid levels and this lipid hypothesis. Yeah, and there's a couple holes um, that people have pointed to from a dissenting perspective in the cholesterol hypothesis, one of which is that it seems um, when medication is used to lower cholesterol, there's not always a reduction in overall mortality. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it might actually seem that it could potentially increase mortality by reducing cholesterol, which is I guess, counterintuitive in this sense. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's other thoughts out there. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we think of the initiating factor of cardiovascular disease being endothelial dysfunction, however you get there. And mm-hmm. whether that's due to direct insult from hypertension or altered lipids, um, other people think it's free radicals, oxidative stress, inflammation, all of these likely drivers of endothelial dysfunction, which ultimately lead to atherosclerosis. Okay, so I have to say it like that long. I'm proud of because you. Because atherosclerosis. I really gotta. I gotta I hit some speed bumps. It's, put it's some tricky. pauses in there. It's tricky. It's tricky. But if we approach this episode as let's take the side of the overall consensus and not necessarily all the dissenting views, can we kind of approach how no, we're going to talk not, about? I'm not gonna, H- no, I'm not going <laughs> to join you guys. I'm not a follower that way. I will take the contrarian point of view. Actually. Okay, Mr. Contrarian. Not that it matters. How would you like to talk about HDL and LDL then? Well, I mean, HDL is the good cholesterol and LDL is the bad <laughs> cholesterol. Just like everyone else talks about it, right? That's, that's what I'm supposed to say there? It's very contrarian of you. But back on our episode when we talked about endothelial dysfunction, you so eloquently described how the LDL gets involved with endothelial dysfunction to become a foam cell and then cause atherosclerosis... You want to just revisit that? <laughs> Eloquently, eh? <laughs> Putting me on the spot. Should I talk with a British accent? Um, no, I mean, here's the thing. LDL is found in the subendothelial space, right? And it's found as being part of an atheroma or a plaque. And so that's a big reason why we think of LDL as being a, a, a large contributor to plaque formation and cardiovascular disease, fatty streaks, and all of that, because it's it's right there. It's in the subendothelial space. kind of gets trapped in there, from what we understand. And then the macrophages eat it, and it turns into a foam cell, and then it's a big problem. The question is, at least in my mind, and as it relates to the cholesterol hypothesis, is, is it there um, because, is it correlation or causation? Is it actually the fact that you have high LDL floating around in your blood why it ends up in the subendothelial space, or is that just correlation? Right, right. And I will say the HDL, which you're terming the good cholesterol, what that does for a living is it carries some of that LDL cholesterol away from the arteries and back to the liver where it gets broken down and excreted as bile in your GI tract. And so it's pulling some of that bad cholesterol away from the atherosclerosis, which is why they call it the good cholesterol. But in and of itself, it also has anti-inflammatory and antioxidant and antithrombotic activities, and it does that reverse cholesterol transport. Yeah, I think that's super important. I mean, HDL... It does the cleanup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems that when you really churn the data, that HDL is a huge driver of cardiovascular risk. And the question mark remains whether even it's more of a driver of cardiovascular risk than LDL is alone, even though our primary intervention, our primary mm-hmm. target of intervention intervention has historically always been LDL. Right. So you want to know that you have 
enough HDL to protect you, in essence. And so it's funny because when people say we want your total cholesterol under a certain number, that makes little sense to me because you really want to know how much good cholesterol you have versus the bad. You need to know that you have adequate amount of HDL. Yeah, I think that's a good segue because we kind of think about total cholesterol as like the entire pie and you want to see what the breakdown of Mm -hmm. that pie is. Is it mostly LDL? Is it mostly HDL? And so for that reason, that's why we end up with a ratio. The first ratio that we can talk about is the total cholesterol to HDL ratio. So when we're looking at this total cholesterol to HDL ratio, we're really just asking the question is like, The majority of that pie HDL or not so much because we want to have more HDL compared to everything else. And that's important because if your total cholesterol is slightly elevated, it may be less problematic if you have a lot of HDL and it's elevated. So that's an important thing to know. I think another cool thing about this uh, total cholesterol to HDL ratio, also referred to as non-HDL cholesterol, is that it's independent of somebody's actual LDL level. So somebody can have a totally normal LDL, um, even like a relatively low LDL. And if you still have an abnormal total cholesterol to HDL ratio, you are still at cardiovascular risk. Um, So it just shows you that LDL is not the entire story there, which is one of the things that Paul Saladino has been talking about quite a bit, which is if you look at the Framingham study data, that yes, LDL correlated to cardiovascular disease up until a certain point, but that was dependent on HDL. And once somebody's HDL levels got high enough, then LDL no longer became associated with cardiovascular disease, which is why he's been saying like, hey, if you've got adequate HDL, it might not matter where your LDL is coming from, which is a totally different spin on the story. It is. It is. And again, it comes back to that epidemiologic study where it's correlative, not causative necessarily. So it's something to keep a close eye on. So that's the total cholesterol HDL ratio. Let's move on to another one of these fun guys. Uh, Let's talk about the triglyceride to HDL ratio. You notice HDL is actually the denominator in both of these, Mm -hmm. telling you how important it is. But you want to talk about the triglyceride to HDL ratio? Well, I think before we do that, we have to talk about what is a triglyceride, right? Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it's a, a little bit different. <laughs> it's another lipid. But we know that triglycerides are about 90% of our dietary intake of fat and 95% of what's stored in our tissues and our body. Okay, well, let me ask you this kind of trick question. Uh-huh. So since triglycerides are a fat, right? they're fat, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then uh, if they're high, then it's because you're eating a lot of fat because you're eating triglycerides in your diet, correct? Um, maybe. But there's another way you can have high triglycerides unrelated to your fat content, and that's by carbohydrates. If you eat a lot of carbohydrates, that can also increase the production of triglycerides because they're, they're made in the body from carbs. So if you want to lower someone's triglycerides, you can't just put them on a low-fat diet. You also need to restrict their carbohydrates so that that doesn't then get converted into triglycerides. And we know triglycerides are a fairly well-established independent marker of cardiovascular disease risk, atherosclerotic disease, and it's actually part of the diagnostic criteria for metabolic syndrome, which is important. But I think my question to you is, is this correlative or causative as it relates to atherosclerosis and some of these diseases? Oh, well, I mean, I think we have to be careful anytime we say causative. Uh I mean, it's hard to know uh, whether it's one or the other, but um, I mean, I have an idea. Oh, no. Here we go. Sometimes literature is inconclusive. That's right. No one really seems to know the answers. Uh But we're lucky because we have someone who always has an answer, and that's Michael Chapman. What? He's going to offer us his logical speculation. I am? Yeah. 
I mean, you know. What? The thing is, I have the power to change that. <laughs> I can absolutely. You are the holder of the button. I can change that yes. intro anytime I want. And but yet, you don't. You know, the thing is, like, it just takes a lot of time out of the day to get that. <laughs> and I will say, though, I don't I don't agree with your general sentiment. What? I'm just saying, Your general you know sentiment so much. Is, we come um, to you for all of our burning questions, Michael Chapman. It somehow undermines no. anything that's oh, a, no. about to come out no, of my mouth. No, no, no. Why don't we talk about triglycerides? All right. Okay, so your question is, is it correlation or causation, the connection between triglycerides and cardiovascular? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that right? That's right. Okay, so the thing about triglycerides that I, I, are, I think are most important is we're talking about energy excess, when we're talking about high triglycerides in the sera. And specifically, I think about um, high levels of carbohydrate intake. Uh, And oftentimes, functional medicine practitioners, other practitioners think of when they see high triglycerides, they think of sugar. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, And for that reason, triglycerides has been used as a good indicator or concern around insulin resistance and diabetes risk because of carbohydrate intake. Um, And so we know that with insulin resistance itself is an important predictor of uh, cardiovascular disease risk. Those two are very much connected. And the thought is that with insulin resistance, you have higher inflammation, you have higher free radical production, whether that's alteration of proteins and thus starting endothelial dysfunction leading to cardiovascular disease. Boom. Causation. What are you on about? Don't at me, Oliver. (laughs) So if I'm taking in all that you just said as Mm -hmm. it relates to triglycerides, looking at insulin resistance and carbohydrate intake and inflammation and disease, if we were to come up with a ratio where we looked at this triglyceride level and its relation to all of those things, as it relates to HDL, which we just discussed earlier, being a more important driver for cardio protection, what would the triglyceride to HDL ratio tell us? Uh, it helps us distinguish insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Well, and specifically, so triglycerides being elevated, like I just mentioned, makes us concerned about insulin resistance. And then HDL brings in the cardiovascular right. impact of it. So right. you have a little bit of this idea of like how much your insulin levels and your insulin resistance is driving cardiovascular disease. That's exactly what that ratio is telling you. And it's fascinating because it actually can discern people who have insulin resistance, even if they're normal weight and don't have any other indicators of insulin resistance, like hemoglobin A1C or serum glucose levels being different. So it's pretty great little marker. Okay, well, well done. And if we're referring back to the brand new product called the Cardio Check here at Genova, there is one last ratio that is found on the Cardio Check called the apolipoprotein A1 oh, to apolipoprotein B. Man. What? Travis. Oh. Man, question. Thank you so much for letting us know. It's question yeah, of the day. Question time. of the day time. Guess we don't have time to get to that apolipopro, whatever it, it is. We'll do it next time. I got lots to say on the subject, so we'll do it next time. Sounds good. And without further ado, let us get to this. What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. Okay, Michael. Yeah. I have a question for you. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, I, it's, what, did Travis, did you let Travis know while you were talking about <laughs> apolipoproteins? No, oh, no okay. he knew because we got it in 
He printed this out for me. Oh, I see. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about all these different things. We're measuring HDL, triglycerides, these ratios. And what we keep talking about is something called metabolic syndrome. So I think the question is maybe just a refresher. What are the criteria and how are we defining metabolic syndrome? So here's my favorite thing about how we define metabolic syndrome is that it starts with a ruler. Right. Like we here we are. It's 2021. It's like probably one of the most significant clinical things you could be diagnosed of as it relates to cardiovascular disease, Mm -hmm. cancer, diabetes. Right. And it's like, all right, well, first you break out the uh, (laughs) the the tape measure that was used to pin my trousers. Right. (laughs) That's right. And in this circumstance, we're using it to measure somebody's belly. That's right. Just are, how big is your belly? Is there what are we're specific doing. criteria. So 2021, that's and right. uh, we're going back to the dark <laughs> ages of medicine where we just marked how big your belly is. And this is the main distinguisher. So if you have a large waistline, right, that's one of the big things. You need three of the five. So large waistline, there's various criteria for men versus women. Uh, high triglyceride level, like you mentioned before. Um, a reduced HDL, so less than 40 Bad. HDL. Right. Increased blood pressure, and then an elevated fasting blood sugar over... 100. So um, those are the, you need to have three of those five criteria to be diagnosed metabolic syndrome. You know, what's a fun fact. I love fun facts. And I'm really glad that the criteria for metabolic syndrome uses waist circumference as a metric instead of BMI or body mass index. For sure. And you know what? I found it interesting that the body mass index, the reason it's so bogus and the reason why a lot of people are discarding BMI as a metric is because it was actually invented by a, an astronomer. That's why we're discarding it? No, it's many reasons. That's why it's bogus? It because we don't there. like astronomers? No. Not, stay in your lane, no. astronomers? No, it starts Get there. At, stop talking about body composition? Now, now I'm really curious about this. Why was this invented by an astronomer? I mean, if you're in space, you don't weigh anything. You, your BMI is zero. How is this helpful in space? Well, he wasn't particularly interested in measuring obesity or promoting diets. And in fact, he was trying to discover what quote unquote average man was statistically because he thought, okay, can I find the underlying mathematical laws that govern human lives and use the same techniques astronomers use to figure out the movements of planets and stars. And here we are hundreds of years later, we're still using the BMI as it relates. And it doesn't even take into account the specific density of your bones or your muscles, it's, it's a meaningless metric, and I'm not understanding why we're, why we're keeping it. I'm not understanding why he was venturing into this terrain. <laughs> stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, exactly. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about apolipoproteins. A1, B, the ratio, cardio check, all of it. We're going to get into it, and what does it have to do with LDL particles? Well, You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear... Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You know, it, it makes me think about Neil deGrasse Tyson, and if in fact we ever have him on the show, we should probably ask him his opinion of the BMI. Seriously, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, like, because y- your BMI would be different on every planet. Yeah? If, you, like if I was on the moon, I would weigh 26.5 pounds. Wow. Uh, that's Good a great. That's a great BMI. <laughs> Gonna live forever. Right. Just move there. What about Jupiter? 404 pounds. Wow. Yep. Yikes. Although it might be least of my problems on Jupiter. <laughs>
area. I don't know. There's a storm, so I'm assuming there's an area. 